1: Well today's show, you may have noticed this will not be posted on YouTube. We actually got a strike on our YouTube channel last week. I think it was um, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday of last week we got a strike against our YouTube. We had two videos removed by YouTube. Um, and listen, I'm not I'm not playing the victim here. <laughs> People ask me, well don't, didn't you expect this? And the answer is yes, of course I expected this. this is YouTube this is what they do. At the same time we do actually try to be very careful about not directly violating YouTube's terms of service because we wanna be on the platform. I want to. I want my videos, I want my episodes, I want our conversations to be on that platform. Not only because it's where some of you prefer to watch the show, but also because there's discoverability on that platform that's unparalleled. Even even some of the alternatives, even Rumble, doesn't have the viewership that YouTube has or the opportunity for other people to discover your content. So I'd like to stay on YouTube if possible, which is why we're so liberal with uh, what I call the very annoying self-censorship. Sometimes on YouTube we have to bleep out things that I say, um, and we try we do try to toe that line and um, not violate their terms of service. Nonetheless. Um, YouTube decided that they that two of my episodes violated um, terms of service. And I want to show you the notice. Since we're not on YouTube, right? We can talk about this quite candidly. I thought you might be interested in how they handle this. So this is one of the emails that they sent to us. This is element number one, Matt. This is an email they sent to my team. It says, hi, Liz Wheeler. Our team has reviewed your content. And unfortunately, we think... It violates our hate speech policy. We've removed the following content from YouTube. Podcast episode titled, was Matt Walsh mean to transgender TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney? Answered, no. Episode 277. The email says, we know that this might be disappointing, but it's important to us that YouTube is a safe place for all. If content breaks our rules, we remove it. If you think we've made a mistake, you can appeal and we'll take another look. Keep reading for more details. And then it says how your content violated the policy. It says content glorifying or inciting violence against another person or group of people is not allowed on YouTube. We also don't allow any content that encourages hatred of another person or group of people based on membership in a protected group. We review educational, documentary, artistic, and scientific content on a case-by-case basis. Limited exceptions are made for content with sufficient and appropriate context and where the purpose of posting is clear. So that's the email they sent. They sent an identical email about the episode Nashville Shooter was transgender, AKA a woman, and proves queer theory is working. So they said I violated their hate speech policy. They actually, to their to their very, very limited credit here, they sent a third email detailing exactly what it was that I said because when they send these vague emails I'm like what does that mean I said nothing hateful I incited no kinds of violence I did not I did not encourage any hatred towards any person or group of people based on productive status I did none of that. But they sent me an email, another email, and this is what they said, they said, I'm reaching out to let you know that the videos Nashville Shooter and Was Matt Walsh Mean to Transgender TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney have been removed from the Liz Wheeler YouTube channel because they violate our hate speech policy. YouTube does not allow hate speech on our platform and prohibits content promoting hatred against individuals or groups based on certain attributes, including gender identity, for example, Content suggesting that individuals are mentally ill because of their gender identity violates this policy and will be removed. Specifically, the videos in question suggest transgender people suffer from quote-unquote mental illness. So this is very interesting to me. And me being me, I immediately um, start Googling this because I'm like, well, wait a second. I wasn't calling them like, I wasn't calling transgender people like psycho because of their gender dysphoria or their, their mental health diagnosis. I was quoting, it turned out, Ironically, to be a CNN article that that said that the um, the Nashville shooter was in mental health care or in treatment for emotional disorders. Emotional disorders is a mental illness. So that was something that CNN reported that the family of the shooter had reported. Seems a little odd to me that I'm not allowed to say that. Um, and then secondarily, referring to gender dysphoria as a mental illness is actually how the DSM-5 refers to it. Now they they called it a mental disorder, and I, I was on. Tim Pool's show, Timcast IRL, um, a couple days ago, and he, he suggested to me that if you use the word mental disorder, YouTube does not censor it, but if you use the word mental illness, YouTube does censor it. I don't know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I, I didn't intentionally violate their terms of service, let's just say that. Um, all of this to say, no, this wasn't unexpected, but a lot of times when you and I are talking off the air, you ask me, okay, but what can I do to push back against this stuff? What can I do? And I'll tell you what you can do now. You can subscribe to my Rumble channel, rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. You can subscribe to an audio platform, uh, preferably Apple Podcasts. Go to Liz Wheeler Show. You can just search that in the search bar on Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. I know you prefer to watch it on YouTube, some of you. I totally appreciate that. Maybe you don't want to have to go to another platform to watch it, but if you really want to help push back on this, the best thing you can do is help me basically help me hedge my bets against when YouTube arbitrarily kicks me off the platform altogether. There are 350 plus thousand of you who subscribed to my channel on YouTube. If if just a few thousands of you could move over to rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. Just subscribe over there in case something happens on YouTube. I'd really appreciate it. Or go to Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button there. This has been happening not just to me. This has been happening to, Tim Pool told me it happened to his channel. A couple of videos, at least one, maybe two, got removed. Um, his channel didn't get a strike, which is odd. It seems like YouTube is enforcing this a little bit unequally. My channel did get a strike, which means I can't upload videos for seven days. So if you don't see videos from me for seven days, that's why. Um, so Tim Wool got videos removed, didn't get a strike. I had videos removed, did get a strike. Matt Walsh had his, um, had his channel demonetized, which the reason YouTube didn't demonetize my channel is because it already was demonetized. In fact, In fact, it was demonetized about six months ago for stuff just like this. And once we reached the end of our uh, parole period, once we got out of Twitter or YouTube jail, we were allowed to apply for monetization again. So we did about a month ago. And when you apply, they say, we have to give us 30 days for us to analyze your channel. So we're like, okay, whatever. The day, it was like right on the day. They waited till the midnight hour. We were right at the end of our 30-day waiting period for monetization and right at the end of that, if it wasn't the exact day, it was like right close to the exact day when we could get monetization back, they put another strike on my channel which prevents monetization. So again, this is not unexpected. This is not part of our Uh, business structure. I know we talk a little bit about about business stuff on here since, you know, this show is a show. It's entertainment, it's education, it's activism, but it's also a business. It's not part of our business structure, so it's fine. Um, But it is interesting to see how these big tech companies work. And if you want to help me hedge against it, go to rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler or go to Apple Podcasts. All this being said, this is not what we're going to talk about on the show today. This is just a little FYI here at the beginning. What we're going to talk about is Ray Epps and January 6th a little bit. And, um, the, the 60 Minutes episode that they did that featured Ray Apps, it is quite something. So let's get to that.
0: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move.
1: Okay, speaking of things that other people don't like me to be saying, we'll get to January 6th and Ups in just a second. I'm speaking at James Madison University this coming Wednesday, April 26th at 6 p.m. I've mentioned this a couple of times, but the radical trans activists are agitating a little bit before my speech. The title of my speech explains why. The title of my speech is The Ideology of Transgenderism. So very self-explanatory. Um, 6 p.m at James Madison University on Wednesday, April 26th. This event is open to the public, so if you are anywhere in the area, if you live in Washington, DC, it's a very short drive, I invite you to join us for this event. It's a very important event. Um, If you're not able to join us in person, then you can watch it streaming online. You can go to youtube.com slash yaftv, or you can watch on Rumble at rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. Like I said, not only invite you, encourage you to show up in person if you can, and if not, to watch online. One of the funny things that I wanna note, Um, is a couple of the responses that I have received from trans-identifying individuals on James Madison University campus. Listen, I'm going to this campus to talk to the chapter of the Young America's Foundation who invited me to speak, and I'm also going to be talking directly to these trans activists, or these people who are trans-identifying. And what I want to tell them, this is the the thesis of my speech, just a little teaser here. What I want to tell them is, you say, they they tell me that I'm hateful, they tell me that I'm a bigot, and I want to tell them, I don't hate you, I don't hate you at all. I care deeply about you, that's why I I put myself in these positions, which are sometimes a little security tense, we'll call them. I put myself in this position because I care deeply about you, I want what's best for you. I don't hate you at all. But I want you to think very closely, this is what I'm gonna say to the, the trans students who are there, I want you to think about this very closely because I tell you that I don't hate you, I tell you I care about you, and queer theorists or trans activists tell you that they don't hate you and tell you that they care for you, but both things can't be true. So either I'm lying to you or they're lying to you. And I think it's time to discern who it is that's telling that lie. There is this state legislator from Connecticut who tweeted, I think she might be um, uh, an alumna of James Madison University. I haven't verified that, but I think she is. Um, and she tweeted that I want to, she tweeted that Liz Wheeler wants to eradicate transgender people. And this is demonstrably false. I never said any such thing. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's provably false that in a sense, it doesn't matter to me when I'm just scrolling through this. I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's a lie. However, my question to the students on Wednesday is going to be if this woman, who is obviously a, a trans activist, is willing to tell this lie, which is so obviously false to you, what other lies is she willing to tell you? Because we both say that we care about you, but that can't be true because what I want for you is radically different from what the trans activists want for you. I want you to be whole. I want you to be the person God made you to be. I want you to be healthy. I want you to prosper and flourish. The other side wants you to mutilate your body with pharmaceuticals and with surgery and damage yourself psychologically, distance yourself from your family and society. Those two things cannot be true at once. One one of us cares for you. One of us hates you. One of us is lying to you, and one of us is telling you the truth. And I want you to discern who it is that's telling you the truth. That's going to be the thesis of my speech. So, highly recommend and invite you guys to join us either in person or online. I do want to read one quick response though uh, before we move on to before we move on to um, Ray the debate team at James Madison University, the debate team, sent out this tweet. They said, The JMU debate team supports the flourishing of transgender people at JMU and beyond. We oppose the support given by groups on the JMU campus to bring Liz Wheeler to speak, and we encourage any group offering her support to cease that support immediately. Uh, see our full statement. Let me make this bigger so that I can see I'll read you the full statement. This is what they said. They say, the JMU debate team's statement on Liz Wheeler speaking at JMU. The JMU debate team supports the flourishing of transgender people, both at JMU and beyond. We oppose the support given by groups on campus to bring Liz Wheeler to speak, and we encourage any group offering her support to cease that support. Transgender individuals, like all persons, should be given the opportunity to live and learn in safety and security, free from discriminatory attacks on their identity, motives, and character. We believe Wheeler's presence on campus undermines the opportunity and we reject the claim that Wheeler's presence on campus benefits free speech. The JMU debate team stands for free speech, open dialogue and argument between different perspectives on campus. Wait a second, wait a second, let me just interrupt that. You stand for free speech, open dialogue and argument between different perspectives, what, as long as they agree with you? Any, Any differing perspectives as long as they're in perfect alignment with your ideology? Because this is their next sentence. There can be no effective democracy without the exchange of conflicting ideas. No person should be prohibited from expressing their viewpoints in the public sphere. Debate exists, so those advocating bad ideas can be answered and repudiated by those skilled individuals advocating better ideas, so you guys better show up, right? You guys better show up to the microphone and ask your questions. Because a lot of times what happens with these is, is there's agitating beforehand, but during the event, when there's an open mic, an offer for you to come up and try to disprove me. That's what what I'm there for. I wanna talk directly to you. I wanna hear your points. I want you to try to dismantle my point of view. I wanna have that debate. You better show up after you put the statement out. You better ask those questions if it's a hallmark of democracy, but a general climate of free speech, they say, should not extend to requiring us to platform or amplify ideas that are exclusionary, discriminatory, or hostile, particularly when those advocating these ideas are specifically attempting to antagonize and harass highly at-risk groups like transgender students. Wheeler's purpose, they say, is precisely to antagonize opponents while undermining quality argumentation is not an honest advocate speaking in good faith in a democratic society. Wheeler is a sensationalist who denies the reality of trans oppression, slanders trans people as being involved in a coordinated conspiracy to assault children, insults people of color, perpetuates conspiracy theories about vaccines, and more. The only theme linking her ideas together is that they're all marketable concepts in our current political media climate. Wheeler is not interested in creating a better society. She's not a serious thinker or a social commentator contributing to a robust intellectual climate, Wheeler is a political profiteer, gaining notoriety and money by using stereotypes, prejudice, and in-group thinking to appeal to people's worst instincts. You call yourselves the debate team. I don't think that word means what you think it means. You've engaged in about five different logical fallacies here. Your debate coach is not proud of you. I will tell you that. And the the crux of their argument here is that they don't want debates because I don't agree with them. They think that they are the arbiters of truth and therefore truth cannot, quote unquote, truth cannot be debated. And yet the very idea that what they're saying is truth, they're articulating queer theory, which is a neo-Marxist theory. Marxism doesn't believe in truth. Marxism believes that truth is just the political narrative that is, that it, that has prevailed, that has emerged victorious in this political battle. So According to the the ideology that they're embracing, there is no such thing as truth anyway. So everything, then, is up for debate. Everything is up for debate. Um, like I said, the crux of their argument is that I disagree with them, so they don't want to debate me, and that the um, YAF chapter is, is paying me to come, which is true, of course it's true. I take time out of my I take time out of my day. I travel. I come. They they offer me a stipend. That's true of any speaker on campus, including I assume Jim Acosta and Dr. Fauci, both of whom spoke at James Madison University this year or within the last year. Um, I also assume, by the way, that J- that the James Madison University debate team is has received funding from the school itself, including the debate coach being paid by the school. So, like I said, it's going to be a fun night. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope that. Um, Honestly what I hope, I hope people show up willing to listen and then actually do bring their best argument to the microphone. But I hope that I hope that you're willing to be as open-minded as you claim. I hope that you're willing to entertain the idea that things might not be the way that you were told that they are. That the people that you that you were told are hateful and bigoted might not be. And the people that you were told they care about you might actually hate you. So James Madison University, if you're looking for free tickets, you can go to LizWheeler.com, LizWheeler.com to get your free tickets. If not, you can join us on YouTube at YouTube.com slash YAF TV or rumble.com slash Liz.
2: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
1: Okay, so on to the story of the weekend so far. The story of the weekend, of course, is the Bud Light executive, the VP of marketing at Anheuser-Busch, who orchestrated the Dylan Mulvaney um, sponsorship for Bud Light. She has either been put on a leave of absence or voluntarily moved to a leave of absence. The, The language was vague. We were left to infer exactly what kind of chaos is happening behind the scenes. So Alyssa Heinerscheid, Alyssa Heinerscheid is the, Anheuser-Busch executive, she was the VP of marketing for Bud Light. She was the one who reportedly was behind the Dylan Mulvaney sponsorship of Bud Light that caused this enormous boycott, $6 billion in um, stock value dropping off of Anheuser-Busch after after they sent him a can of Bud Light with his face on it and after he made that video that went just wildly viral in which he was promoting Bud Light. Um, conservatives rightly said, listen, if you are going to sponsor that ideology, then we are not going to purchase your product. This was maybe the first real conservative boycott that has ever happened, certainly the first real one I've ever been a part of, where consumers were like, you know what? I'm gonna vote with my money. I'm going to vote with my money, even if I was previously a fan or a consumer of your product, I'm not going to be unless you stop behaving like this. We're just done. We're done with woke corporations, especially woke corporations promoting something so destructive to young people. Bud Light, we talked about this last week, Bud Light, or Anheuser-Busch, I should say. The CEO of Anheuser-Busch put out a non-apology, just, oh, we didn't mean to step in such a hot button topic. Like, what? Do you live under a rock? You sponsored the most prominent trans activist in the country and you didn't realize it was a hot button topic? Are you that stupid? Like, I don't even believe someone's that stupid, right? Like, there are a lot of stupid people out there. I don't even believe anybody's that stupid. Of course they knew what they were doing, they just didn't realize conservatives would follow through on the boycott. A boycott, by the way, is different than cancel culture. A boycott is voting with your money, saying, listen, you behaved in a certain way. We don't want to give our money to you because you're using our money then to advocate for political policies that impact us negatively. That's a boycott, and boycotts are entirely appropriate. Cancel culture is different. Cancel culture is either digging up something from someone's past, like 20, 30 years ago, and being like, well, that was kind of an offensive thing you said in high school. Therefore, you should be fired from your job today. Even though that person today is not anything like maybe an old tweet or something that they sent in high school, that's cancel culture. Or trying to um, trying to uh, uh, ostracize a celebrity from Hollywood because they dared to come out as a Trump supporter. That's cancel culture. Trying to make sure that they never work again. That's cancel culture. That's not that's not what conservatives are doing to Anheuser Bush. Conservatives are voting with our money, saying we're not going to tolerate our money being used for these politics when it's a voluntary transaction. So, um, conservatives kept this up even when the Republican establishment said, actually, Anheuser-Busch gives some money to Republican candidates, maybe we should not be boycotting, and conservatives were like, "Nah, nah, We're not gonna sell our values for the paltry amount of money that Anheuser-Busch gave to Republican and Democrat candidates in the last election cycle. So in response from this, I wish it was a fly on the wall, let's just say, in the, I think it's InBev, is the, uh, the parent company of Anheuser-Busch, but I wish I was a fly on the wall in that building because man, oh man, there must be mass chaos in there. This woman, Alyssa Gordon Heinerscheid, who was the VP of marketing, uh, it was announced that she's on leave of absence. I don't know if that's just legalese for this is how we're firing her. I assume so, based on my experience in business. I assume that she didn't just say, well, I'm gonna step aside here. Like, no, of course they're firing her. They're just trying to fire her gently and trying to save her reputation or something like that. Um, but this woman, I wanna show this picture. This is a picture of her LinkedIn profile. Take a look at this. See if you can see the problem on her LinkedIn profile. Oh, there it is, she, her. Alyssa Gordon-Heinerscheid has her um, pronouns. Now, thankfully, they're not neo-pronouns. It's not like this person's transgender, but it shows that she buys into queer theory. It shows that she is just that woke. And then look at her, look at her bio. VP, Bud Light, first female to lead the largest beer brand in the inter- industry. Like, who cares? Who cares? What does that have to do with your qualifications? Who on earth cares? My message to conservatives is the same today as it was last week, do not back down. Anheuser-Busch, their parent company InBev and Budweiser are learning a very difficult and very important lesson and we should not back down. Um, because, Because the reason that we shouldn't back down is not just to punish this specific company, it's because if we do not dictate the culture, if we do not establish ourselves as as players in the culture war, then the other side's going to. I, I was telling, I was on uh, Tim Pool's show, TimCast IRL on Friday evening, and we were talking about the idea of neutrality and indoctrination, and I said on the show that there's no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as just this neutral playing field. Either one side is dictating the values and morals or the other side is dictating the values and morals. So when Republicans, think naively that we can just step back and have this sort of even playing field. That's why we lose the culture war, because the left just steps in and fills this vacuum. I thought you guys might want to um, uh, check this out. It was a super it was super fun. And I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like behind the scenes. But take a look at this.
2: America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial. Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I want to jump to a somewhat different but similar story or a similar vein. This is from Timcast.com. Texas passes legislation requiring Ten Commandments to be displayed in every classroom. The bill's sponsor says the Ten Commandments are part of American tradition. Under SB 1515, which just passed the Senate by a 17-12 to vote, every public elementary or secondary school must prominently display a durable copy or framed copy of the Ten Commandments that is at least 16 inches wide and 20 inches tall. The display must also be legible to a person with average vision from anywhere in the classroom. The bill's sponsor State Senator Phil King said during a committee hearing on the bill that the Ten Commandments are part of American heritage and that it's time to bring them back into U.S. schools. If if they're putting critical race theory, critical theory, gender ideology in schools, personally, I don't see any difference. And so my response is going to be, if you are trying to pass Marxism into schools, then I then, OK, fine, you do that. They do this. Where, where What am I arguing?
1: Can I tell you my super based opinion on this? Sure. Okay, my super base opinion on this is that this is fabulous and that they should do it. And that it, <laughs> violates, it violates nothing about our, our heritage of law here. So truly in the conservative movement, the Republican Party, there's a difference between how we view laws, right? There's like the libertarian view that's like, we should be able to do whatever we want as long as we don't violate somebody else's fundamental human right. Government should get off my lawn and then actual conservatism is not libertarianism actual conservatism is like in the in in the style of edmund burke right where it's not absolute liberty it's ordered liberty ordered liberty being defined as more like the pursuit of justice and he defines justice because you're like okay well what's justice And he defines justice as um original justice capital o original justice meaning rooted in the traditional judeo-christian morality and this is not just something like, oh, okay, I'm a practicing Catholic, I'm coming in here with my religious views. Edmund Burke's philosophy is what our constitution was based on. James Madison, the father of our constitution, quoted Edmund Burke. So my belief is that indoctrination is morally neutral. It's not good or it's not good or bad in and of itself. I agree. And there's no such thing as neutrality. You Either we are going to be indoctrinating or they are going to be indoctrinating. I completely so if we agree. don't have this in schools, then Marxism, which I would argue is a form of like satanic ideology, then Marxism is going to be in our school, so I would much rather have this. Yeah, you know,
2: I'm I'm neutral on it. Um, I, I certainly understand why Christians and Catholics and you know whatever uh, and and many Jewish people probably would would be like, yes, this is fantastic. We should have these values instilled to our children. And you're completely right about indoctrination, 100. I would prefer the Ten Commandments over Marxism. Mm-hmm. So if someone came to me and said it's one or the other, I'd be like, oh, Ten Commandments, all the way. But the like, system no question. where they're like, hey, here's a really horrible choice, and you're like, I don't want that. They're like. Okay, here's a little bit less horrible choice. Want that one instead? You're like, yeah, I guess it's, it's less worse. It doesn't have to be either of them. You know this what is what you the mean? compromise. You don't no, that's no, no, what no, I don't, hold that's on. Th- this, believe, this, this is the compromise. I don't think there's anything. We're not any, talking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're not talking about the school teaching Bible study. They're actually putting Marxism in classroom curriculum and critical uh, critical race theory and critical gender theory is literally being put into math problems. This is the compromise. This is we're going to put it on the wall and say. I'd, no, I'd like mean, to see the four pillars of Islam. Uh, But our country is not based on the four
1: pillars of Islam. Our country is literally based on this. Think about our laws against homicide. Why do we, as a people, recognize that other human beings deserve protection under the law, but like dogs don't or something like that? If you look at morality and think about morality, there's actually no such thing as secular morality. Secular morality is just anarchy. It's just the strongest can dominate the weak. The only reason that we have order in our country right now, even as we are in a chaotic era, is because we have some acknowledgement at the base level that people have dignity, that people have value, and that's based on that order is based on. Judeo-Christian values. Now, you don't have to practice those values in your personal life, Mm -hmm. but it is ahistorical to ignore the fact that our entire system, our entire republic, is based on that. Okay, a couple things. First of all, this is exactly why we boycott Bud Light. This is why conservatives this time are serious about this boycott, because we uh, we are understanding, maybe for the first time in my lifetime when we're fighting this culture war, we're understanding that if we allow the other side to dominate, the narrative or to dominate the culture war, then our values and our morals are going to become obsolete, because there's no such thing as a neutral playing field. It's either their values or it's our values, and our values are so radically different right now. It's quite literally freedom and liberty and Christianity, Judeo-Christian values, versus Marxism and atheism. We've talked more, actually, about the separation of church and state, because um that topic came up, so if you want to catch the rest of that, you can go. You can go obviously to TimCast IRL on YouTube and watch the whole thing. It was like two hours long. I had a great time. They have a wild setup over there. It's like um, it's like the ultimate. I, I would say it's like the ultimate man cave, bro house. It's not exactly it's not exactly a fratty environment, but it's definitely like. Um, it's definitely like made for exactly what men that age would like. Like this is this is definitely like a bro house. A really cool setup that they have there, um, and and really kind of them to have me on the show. I really enjoyed being there. The really fun thing is this big chicken coop in the backyard. You guys familiar with that? Of course. Um, it's humongous. Actually, it's as big as a small house. It's super cool. Super cool. Um, okay, so let's talk about Ray Epps here for a second. It's funny the mainstream media who are the biggest culprits in trying to portray January 6th as this this insurrection, this, this worst violence against our capital since, I don't know, the War of 1812 or whatever it was that they said. They're just reminding us again, by airing this special on Ray Epps, they're just reminding us again that Ray Epps was obviously either a Fed or an informant for the Feds, and the Feds staged January sixth and promoted, provoked the rioters. They advertised this special uh, on on Ray Epps with the following trailer. Take a look at this first.
0: We are going to the Capitol. Who is Ray Epps? A former member of the Oath Keepers who served in the Marine Corps and was an ardent Trump supporter, or at least he was until conservative media post-January 6th began insinuating that he was a government plant for the deep state.
2: What exactly was the role of Ray Epps in the chaos of January
0: 6th? No matter how many times they push this conspiracy theory, this lie, it'll never become truth.
1: Keyword, conspiracy theory. Listen to how many times, in fact, let me bring up this tweet because this this tweet um, with the trailer, the video itself went pretty viral. I think it got about 7 million views or at least the last time I looked at it, 7.2 million views is what it's at right now. But listen to this. This is how they uh, announced the trailer. This is the language they use. They said, in conservative media, Ray Epps is a notorious villain responsible for turning the protests on January 6th into a riot, it is a convoluted conspiracy theory that he denies. He's now in hiding, facing death threats. This Sunday, Ray Up sits down with 60 Minutes, yada, yada, yada. A convoluted conspiracy. So let's think about the things in the last couple of years that we've been told were conspiracies. We were told that, um, we were told all of these different things that came true were conspiracy theories. If we accuse the FBI of trying to stage a coup against Donald Trump, we were told that's a conspiracy theory. Turns out it was true. We were told it was a conspiracy theory to think that the Ukraine impeachment was also just a disgruntled liberal in the deep state who was trying to take out Donald Trump, but turns out it was true. We were told the Hunter Biden laptop story was just a conspiracy theory. Oh, turns out that was true. All of these different things, I mean, we could spend a whole show on that probably. All of these different things we were told were, were conspiracy theories. They turned out to be reality. So what do you think it means when they add another, an adjective? a convoluted conspiracy. Does that mean that this is extra super true? Extra super true, because it seems to me. I mean, watching this, I don't feel convinced that that Ray Epps has proved himself not to be a Fed for a couple reasons. First of all, and this is a tweet of Julie Kelly that I'd like to bring up on the screen right now. There are two other men who were convicted, Guy Reffitt and Tom Caldwell, who never entered the Capitol building, just like Ray Epps did not enter the Capitol. They never entered, and yet they were indicted for obstruction and both were found guilty. So they were convicted for obstruction even though they never entered the Capitol because they were on Capitol grounds like Ray Epps was. Ray Epps's face was plastered on that most wanted poster by the FBI, and yet as everybody else was rounded up, Ray Epps just wasn't, even though we knew his name, we knew where he lived, he was easy to find. The feds are still, by the way, arresting people. They said we can still expect maybe hundreds more arrests related to January 6th, so why on earth is Ray Epps walking free? Why on earth has this man not been arrested? He was, he's caught on tape a bunch of times, a bunch of times orchestrating this. And so when 60 Minutes aired their bit, um, I'd like to show you just a little bit of it because there's a couple of key places in here that I think tell us exactly what we need to know. Take a look.
0: Ray Epps was never seen committing an act of violence that day or entering the Capitol. Epps told us when he saw the violence, his fervor to enter the building became a desire to play peacemaker. And police body cam video backs him up. I thought I could stop it. So I went back and forth. I talked people down and worked the line back and forth. Step down, step down, we're good here, that kind of thing. And I kept it that way for quite some time. Take a step back. We're holding ground. We're not trying to get people hurt. They don't want to get hurt, you don't want to get hurt. Just back up. Epps says he left the Capitol grounds to help evacuate an injured man. The time, 2.54 p.m. I looked back at the Capitol and there was people crawling up the Capitol walls and it looked like, it looked terrible. I mean, I, I was kind of ashamed of what, what was going on at that point. So I I started to walk out. He told us that's when he sent this text to his nephew. Conspiracists saw it as the true confession of an agent provocateur. I was in front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. Explain this to me. I was boasting to my nephew. I helped get people there. I, I was directing people to the Capitol that morning. You know how this sounds. I know exactly how it sounds. I've been scolded by my wife for using that word. I shouldn't have used that word. When you add up all of these things, as your critics have done, you've given them a lot of ammunition to paint you as this instigator. There was an effort to make me the scapegoat. Conspiracists.
1: That word, that word actually made me laugh when I heard it. Conspiracists read his text message that said I orchestrated it, and they infer that he orchestrated it. Conspiracists. Okay, we're conspiracy theorists, whatever. Call us whatever you like here. Let me just say this. Ray Epps is utilizing, in this video, this piece by 60 Minutes, is utilizing the oldest crisis PR trick in the book. When he's asked directly about something that's damning to him, he says, oh yeah, I've been scolded for that by my wife. Because what does that do in the minds of the people, right? If he if he outright denies it, everyone's going to be like, nah, you did it. But if he admits some kind of wrongdoing, then what are they going to say? Right? There's not that same defensive mechanism, especially if it's like more of a moral wrongdoing. Like, oh, my wife said I shouldn't do it. Oh, well, his wife said he shouldn't do it. Like, good on her for keeping him in track. No, 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 no. This is a piece of propaganda. This is a pe- All this does, all 60 Minutes has done with this piece is remind people that... Ray Epps was, here, remind us, I should say, 60 Minutes has reminded us that there are several options that are on the table of what happened that day. Either Ray Epps was a Fed, meaning he was in in the employ of the federal government, either he was a federal agent, or he was an informant of federal agents, of the federal government, because there's really no other logical explanation here. Because, He obviously has some kind of immunity, right? He has to. His name was on this Most Wanted poster. There's actually still a tweet that's pinned to the top of one of the the FBI field offices of that poster with Ray Epps on the Most Wanted poster, and yet he's walking free. I know he didn't go into the Capitol, but those two other guys, Julie Kelly pointed it out, those two other men who also didn't go into the Capitol, they were just on restricted grounds like Ray Epps was, they were arrested and imprisoned and found guilty. Ray Epps was, none of those things happened to Ray Epps. He obviously has some kind of immunity here, so it's plausible that he's not a direct employee of the federal government or he's not like a desk job. When I say direct employee, I mean like a, a, a full-time, round-the-clock, sitting at your desk, clocking in and out employee. He could be an informant, although at this point, it's a little bit of a difference without a distinction because if he's an informant, it means that he's given the federal government, in exchange for immunity, he's given them probably names, well, certainly names, probably phone numbers, definitely communications and texts, so that the federal government can target other people. That makes him maybe even worse than a Fed, right? Because he's ratting on people who shouldn't be ratted on to peop- to government agents who are abusing their power to target citizens who are protesting, and maybe citizens who are entrapped into uh, agitating, rioting, some vandalism that they shouldn't have done because federal government agents were agitating them to do so. so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what 60 Minutes exactly was trying to do here, but all it does is is remind us that the majority of Americans, including Democrats, think that the federal government and federal agents provoked and incited what happened. How on earth do you walk free when you were yelling, "We should go into the Capitol"? When you were orchestrating barriers being removed at the first breach point, the first breach point. Julie Kelly did another tweet. I want to. I want to um, read this one to you. Hold on a second. Let me bring it up, because I want to read it word for word. Okay. She says, I've been asked what charges Epps could or should face. Here are a few. Obstruction of an official proceeding, because he was among the first to breach the exterior line right before the joint session convened and remained until the House and Senate suspended business. Civil disorder. Interfering with law enforcement. Entering and remaining on restricted grounds. Parading at the Capitol. Disorderly conduct. Charges, by the way, she says, brought against many January 6thers with similar or less offensive behavior. And then she goes on to say, I'm not for the record suggesting that Epps should be charged. I'm merely noting the fact that many J 6 Sixers faced bogus charges that the Department of Justice could easily slap on Epps. People charged with obstruction after the joint session ended, yet he was on the front lines as the so-called mob assembled outside. So again, uh, the way I see it here is there's either, there's three options. One of these th- three things is true either the federal government is not applying justice equally, they're picking and choosing who they charge based on I don't know what, but that's not an equal application for the law. That's the most neutral, the most vanilla, maybe the least politically charged explanation. It's also the least likely explanation. Um, The second likely, the second possible explanation would be that Ray Apps is an outright fed, um, which I still find very plausible right now. Like maybe he is some kind of deep undercover, the feds. If the feds, acknowledge that he is a fed it's completely over right we see the video of what he's doing if they acknowledge that he's a fed their whole house of cards comes tumbling down so they are going to they are going to defend this until Kingdom come the third option is that he wasn't he wasn't like a desk a desk guy fed but he was an informant which is equally bad as being a fed um, I posted a poll on my Twitter account asking people I want to bring this up too to see what the ultimate outcome of this one was asking people, whether Ray Apps was a Fed. Let me scroll down to this, hold on. Yeah, I said, is Ray Apps a Fed plant? I thought that question kind of encompassed both whether he was a Fed or an informant. Is Ray Apps a Fed plant? 97.9% of you said, duh, and 2.1% of you said no. So I think that wraps it up. Kudos to 60 Minutes for reminding us yet again how corrupt the federal government is, how they've weaponized the power of what should have been a self-governing apparatus, the executive branch, and instead using it to target People whose politics they don't like. What a sad, sad day in American history. Again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, this show won't be on YouTube, at least not until our strike runs out. We'll upload it um, maybe next week when we're free. But in the meantime, please, please, please subscribe to the show, rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler, or go over to Apple Podcasts and uh, click that subscribe button. Huge help for us if you do that. Helps us, you know, negate what, negate the impact of when YouTube does. Arbitrarily censor us. Also, don't forget on Wednesday, uh, if you're in the area, please join us at James Madison University for my speech, The Ideology of Transgenderism. You can go to lizwheeler.com to get your free tickets. It's open to the public if you're in the area. Washington, D.C. is plenty close enough. So, anybody in that area, I invite you to come. If you can't come, you can watch it streaming on YouTube at youtube.com slash YAF TV or rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.